Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Friend. 
the Lord. Amen. Now, I want you to, uh, you can be making your way to the book of Hebrews. We're going to begin a new study today in the book of Hebrews, and I'm looking forward very much to uh, just studying this together. But first of all, I want to just show you three faces that you probably know. All right, go ahead. All right. Now, you might say yay or boo, depending on whether you're fans of these particular people. That's not the point. But uh, there's something that Tom Brady in football, Jack Nicholas in golf, and Michael Jordan in basketball that they have in common. You say, what do they have in common except they're filthy rich and very famous, okay? Uh, you might say that. But there's something else because in their particular sports, they each have been d designated a GOAT, okay? Now you say, well, don't call me a GOAT. That doesn't sound very good. But this has become the acronym for what? You know what that means? Greatest of all time. So the greatest of all time quarterbacks in the NFL, Tom Brady. And you might say, I don't like Tom Brady, but his stats speak for themselves, all right? Uh, and then Jack Nicholas, is, who's now retired from golf, he's won. I think, I think I read that he won 127 major golf tournaments over his career, something ridiculous like that. And then Michael Jordan, all right, I mean, you know, you know, you maybe even wear his shoes. I don't know. You know, that's, that's the kind of thing he's in. But now when you think about that phrase, greatest of all time, immediately when you say that, you start making some limitations on it, okay? First of all, it's the greatest of all time in football or greatest of all time in golf or the greatest of all time limited to basketball, right? So not greatest of all time in some other sport, not the greatest of all time in any other category, but limited that one. And then also, the greatest of all time. You probably could say it this way. The greatest of all time up till now. What happens in 20 years if someone that's better than Michael Jordan or does better than, than Tom Brady? You know, they might be replaced. They might be replaced by someone who does better. So that sort of thing. But when we come to talk about our Lord today, and that's what we want to look at here in Hebrews, Jesus indeed is the greatest of all. Now think about that, what we say, he's a goat. He's the greatest of all time. When it comes to Jesus, you have to take the word time off of it because he is the greatest even before time existed, long after into eternity future. He is the greatest of all. And also there is no qualifier. He's not the greatest of all time in this category. You say he's the greatest of all time of religious leaders, the greatest of all time of spiritually significant people. He is the greatest of all, period. And that's the point that the writer of Hebrews wants to get across to you and I. To the readers that read this scroll when it was unrolled the first time and read in their hearing, to all these centuries later, the message is still the same. The reality is that Jesus is the greatest of all. Now, the writing, by the way, if you want to go on our website, you can go to our page dedicated to this series. There's a couple-minute video there that just gives you a quick background of Hebrews, and it gets you up to date. But one of the things that's the reality is it was written to Jewish Christians who were tempted because of persecution to start identifying more in their Jewishness than in their Christian faith. Because as persecution started, Christianity was, was not, had any, didn't have any legal protection. Judaism had some, it was sort of an approved religion under the, under the headship of Rome. So you could be in less trouble if you said, I'm a Jew, or rather than saying, I'm a Christian. So there, there were people who were tempted to kind of slide away from their their, their firm statement that I'm a follower of Christ. So he writes this letter to, to stop this slippage, to encourage these believers to stand fast in their testimony that they had declared from, with their lips and through going through the waters of baptism that we are now followers of Jesus. 
And he does that, and you see it in the very first three verses we're going to look at this morning. He starts with a bang with this. And he starts with a particular motivation, which goes all the way through the book. And you'll see that when we get to the text in just a moment. Now, we might say, if I don't want you to slip, I don't want you to kind of slide, I don't want you to, to kind of you know, get, get lax in your faith. In our culture today, and frankly, and many times in the pulpit today, we would go here first. And there's also some validity to what I'm about to say, but this is, I don't think, maybe where we start. We would start by saying, if you follow Jesus, you're going to have a better life, which I believe that to be true. It doesn't mean it's not going to be, it doesn't mean it's going to be free from any worry or any difficulty or trial, but I think in, in, in some totals, you can have joy, you can have peace, you can have purpose. And we sort of default to the setting of saying, it's a good deal to follow Jesus. And it is. But we sort of, we sort of plug into what we might call a, a consumer mentality. When we go to buy something or someone's advertising something or someone's marketing something that they want us to put our money into, they typically will go to this, this is going to make you happy. You're going to impress your friends that you're driving this car. You're, th- this perfume is going to make you just so a- adorable. And this fashion is going to make you so attractive. And uh, you put this stuff on your face and all of your wrinkles will go away or whatever it is. You know, there's some consumer pull to say, if you plug into this product, it's going to make you better. Now, there's some of that in the Bible. There's actually a lot of that in the Bible. But he goes to a different place. He simply says this, and this is where he starts with that bang. Here's the reality. Don't slip because Jesus is the greatest, period. We do what we do because of who he is, not what we get out of it. Now, we do get lots of blessings out of it. I don't want to get, push this too far. But it, he is great. And he tells in, in various ways woven through this book, and you'll see this as we study it together. And I encourage you, make a commitment to just plow in and let's go through this together. Let's enjoy this journey together. As you go through this journey, you're going to find out that Jesus is greater than this and greater than that and greater than him and greater than these things that they held dear. And the fact is, Jesus is greater. And if you want to be a follower of Jesus and if we want to be staying in track with our enthusiasm and our confidence and our faithfulness to being a follower of Jesus, we need to plug into the simple reality that Jesus is not the greatest of all time, but Jesus is the greatest of all, period. Verse 1, chapter 1, first word. God. Now, there's some question about who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's not identified who wrote it, but oftentimes the epistles of Paul would begin... Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he identifies who's writing. This writer starts with this point, and you already get the feel of it. I'm talking about the highest. We're going to get our focus on God. We're going to get our focus off ourselves. We're going to, go, we're going to think a little broader and a little wider and a little higher and a little more sacred because the reality is if we're going to be true followers of Jesus Christ, we have to begin with this, that Jesus is the greatest of all. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the world, worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the power of his word, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. There's a lot packed in to a very few words. Some have described, by the way, that's all one sentence, okay, in the original, okay? There's almost no coming up for air. And that is to just point out the fact in this beautiful language, the superiority of Jesus Christ. 
And he gives us this motivation, first of all, because we need to follow Christ who is the greatest person. He begins by saying, who at various times, various ways, spoke in times past. So God spoke in various ways in times past. How did he speak? Sometimes he showed up and shook the earth. Sometimes it was a storm. Sometimes it was a cataclysm. Sometimes it was a major event. And then he says, he spoke in times past to the fathers. To a Jew, that would take us back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Noah and all these people. God spoke through their lives and his interaction with them. Then he says this, he spoke to them by the prophets, people that God sent like Isaiah or Jonah or Habakkuk or all these prophets of the Old Testament. And if you were a Jew in those days, those were your heroes, the fathers and the prophets. Yes, those are the people that have revealed God to us. He said, in times past, he spoke to us by these wonderful, great people. Verse 2, but in these last days has, in these last days spoken to us by his son. Who's the greatest person? The son of God. He's spoken to us by his son. He didn't send an emissary. He didn't send an intermediary. He didn't send a symbolic act. He sent his son, singular, unique, only, his only begotten son, the only son of God. He gave what was most precious to him and gave it to those of us that he loved because we were precious to him as well. So he's spoken by his son. That, that's, that the significance is, in, is bound up in that, and we'll look a little bit more of it. Whom he's spoken, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. There's two, quality, two qualities here about he's the greatest person. He's God's son. So all the attributes of God, all the godness that was God, was passed on to his son in this concept, although the son has always existed, okay? So this, this concept of sonship in our mind has a beginning. In this concept, it has no beginning, okay? So it's hard for us to fully appreciate that. But in that sense, he is God's son. Because he's the son, it says he is the heir. If you inherit something, you inherit something because someone put you in a will and there was something that they had acquired that they would pass on to you. And in their world, typically fathers live to leave some sort of inheritance to their children, especially the firstborn son, in this case, an onlyborn son. So he is the heir of God. Now think about this. This also takes you to something of the significance of Jesus himself because Jesus not only was the son, but he's also the heir. Remember, find out just a little bit ago, a little bit later, that he is the creator of all things. Okay? So he created the, all things, and he's going to inherit all things. So in essence, Jesus creates the inheritance that he then receives. In our world, someone created their wealth of inheritance and passes it on. In this case, Jesus is both the creator of the the inheritance and also the one who receives the inheritance. It's a way of saying everything about Jesus is all about Jesus. Why? Because he is the greatest person that ever has existed. We are all looking for a place to feel at home. Pastor Jesse Wagoner and the congregation of Mount Calvary Baptist are ready to welcome you because when you're here, you're home. With their warm, welcoming environment, you will feel right at home as you experience the life-changing power of Christ. Mount Calvary is located at 1509 Bigley Avenue in Charleston, West Virginia at the Westmoreland exit, half mile north of the I-64, I-77 split. To learn more, visit calvarywv.com. And for us as believers, the simple concept to to plug into our thinking that Jesus is the greatest should be all that is necessary for us to be a motivated follower of Jesus Christ because he's the Lord over all. He is the supreme being. He is the greatest person. 
Now, how does that work in our lives? Uh, lots of ways, and I am not going to cover all the ways today. We go through this text, and we, or this text going forward, the, the book of Hebrews. We'll look at many more of these. But if I could just put a couple, three categories into our thinking. First of all, I'll just put the word obedience into our thinking. That we are to obey because he is the greatest person. Well, should we obey because things are going to work better with, for us if we obey? Well, they will work better for us if we obey. It's going to cause us some pain and damage that we would self-generate because of our own disobedience. And most of us have experienced that in life. But he says, I'm going to raise this to a higher level. We obey because he is the greatest person. He is the creator of all things. He's the son of God. He is the one who's going to inherit all things. As it says in verse 2, whom has he's appointed heir of all things through whom he, he made the worlds. We do this to honor him. So when it comes right down to the decisions you and I make in life, maybe, you have the, maybe we do this little calculation. I want to just change the calculation. I think the fact that God is who God is helps us change the calculation. First of all, we might be in a situation where we think, if I tell the truth, I'm going to get in trouble. So maybe if I don't tell the truth, I can avoid some trouble in life. I think that connects to most of us, that, that, that little moment of what are we going to do. At that moment, the calculation should not be what is better perceived better for me. What should be perceived is what's better for him. He says, by the way, it makes his top ten list of things we don't do, that we are not to bear a false witness against another. We're not to lie. So we need to say, for your benefit... And for your glory, you being the highest person, and me a follower of you, I'm going to tell the truth and I'll suffer the consequences, whatever they may be. By the way, telling the truth is very practical. You don't have to have a good memory if you tell the truth all the time. Okay, You don't have to always try to keep your story straight. But anyway, we do it because we honor him in that calculation. Now, then you can take that obedience quotient, that obedience concept, and you can just spread it across all the areas of obedience, all the, all the behaviors that he tells us to do and all the behaviors he tells us not to do. And if you have any doubt about what they are, you can find them in the text of Scripture, okay? The majority of what God's will is for us is right here in the text of Scripture somewhere. So we'd make this calculation. I'm tempted. Maybe it's better for me if I do this. Maybe it's better for me if I do, don't do this. But rather than make the calculation about me, we go back to this person we follow, the absolute highest of all. Because it's not for me, it's for him. And the antidote for the self-focus is simply this. We focus on that, what you see in front of you, that Jesus is the greatest of all. If that can get plugged into our mind, riveted to our souls, fastened to every decision that we make, we're going to walk in obedience. And he tells these people, and he tells you and I, Jesus is the greatest of all. Now, beginning with the phrase you see there in verse 2 where it talks about the heir of all things. The Son of God says who he is, and then the rest are descriptors. There's seven descriptors. And by the way, the word number seven was very important to the Jewish faith. And you can figure that out if you want to study that out. But it was. So he gives seven descriptions of Christ, all pointing to him being the greatest. The first one we've already looked at, the heir of all things. Then we go to a second category. He's not the greatest, not only the greatest person, but he, we need to follow Christ who has the greatest accomplishments that could ever be made. The things that he has accomplished, no one else has even tried. The accomplishments that he has finished, no one else would even conceive of doing. Get into the text, it says in verse 2. Whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. 
Now, that's impressive enough. The world, all the worlds, all the planets, all the stars, all the galaxies, all the stuff, all the stuff that everything you can see through a microscope, everything you can see through a telescope, he made it all. However, the word translated worlds there is not the common word for world like the planet. It's the, word we get the, we, it's the word that we get the word eons from, through the eons of time. So it's not just he made the stuff, but he made the purpose and the stuff. He made this world, and this world is designed to flow and do and accomplish certain things. So it wasn't just somehow it was created by his power, but he created it by his power to fill, fulfill his purposes. So through all the ages of time, through all the expressions of, of this creation, through all the variety of it, he made them. We're told in the book of Colossians that everything was made by him, that's the stuff, and for him, that's the purpose. And without him, not anything, that was, ma- anything was made that was made. So start with that. Who wants to rival that? You know, I have a toolbox at, at my house. In fact, I've got a birthday coming up, and I've even added a couple tools onto my birthday list. But I, I, I feel very incompetent pretty much every time I get my toolbox out. And I'm not even making stuff. I'm just trying to keep something that already exists from falling apart, you know. That's basically what I do. So the fact that in, all he had to do, all, all Jesus had to do was speak, and here it is. He made it. Start with that. Let that flow through our minds. Every time you see a beautiful sight, Every time you, you take a picture, you know, your selfie in front of a sunset, all right, whatever you're doing, just go back to this reality. He made it. He made it all. He made the worlds. And then look in verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, and I'm going to skip to this one and then we'll go back and get the other two, and upholding all things by the word of his power. Here's another one of those all things. All the worlds, all things. Not only did he make everything, Not only is he the one who determines its purpose, its beginning and its end, but he's also the one that holds it all in place, holds it all together. There's something fundamentally mysterious about the very core of matter and space and time that physicists still struggle with. It's what what literally holds it together. In an atom... It seems as if there's, it should fly apart because of the negative and the positive and that sort of thing. And uh, years ago, physicists came up to this to describe this force that they don't fully understand. They described it as cosmic glue. That's real profound, isn't it? There's some view, there's some, there's some physical force, something we don't completely understand, that whole in the interior of every atom that holds it together and keeps it from flying apart. If it flies apart, it releases a lot of energy, and then you have a nuclear reaction or a nu- nuclear fission or whatever. Now, I don't know how God pulls this off, but I do know this from a spiritual level. God is much more than cosmic glue, but it says he upholds all things by his power. In essence, if he released it, it all flies apart of its own accord. It all just just vaporizes in a flash of fire. And it says he upholds all things. And by the way, that includes you. My world is falling apart. How long has it been since uh, you've experienced that? You know, 20 minutes, half hour, yesterday, last week. My world is falling apart. I'm ready to quit. I'm ready just to just, I, can I just resign from everything? Just I want to just crawl in a hole somewhere and stay there and just, you know, hermitize myself. He upholds everything about your life. 
He knew that bad day was coming. He knew that good day was coming. He knows every day that's coming. And he says, just trust in me because he is the one who has the greatest accomplishments. Our trust in him, that's the application here. Our trust in him should turn our panic to peace. It should turn our terror to trust. It should take us out of the temporary, which we go through now, and focus on the permanent. What's the permanent? He made everything. He upholds all things. He upholds us. He probably has the strength to help us make it to the end of this day. Trust me. Put your faith in me. Put your confidence in me. So he made the worlds. He upholds all things. And also you see here in the end of verse 3, and we'll go back and get a couple more in a moment. I'm not doing these in order. When he had by himself, I love that phrase. When he had by himself, all alone, singular, no one else, no help needed. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The greatest accomplishment was not only making the world, holding it all together, but he became the savior of the world through his death on the cross. And by himself, he purged our sins through the shedding of his blood. Now, that only becomes effective for us if we believe it. It only works for us if we embrace it in faith. It only is true for us if we trust in him. The reality is simply this. He purged our sins. If you're one of his children, what greater accomplishments could you say? He, Jesus is the greatest of all. He made everything. He got me through life at this point. He's going to make me, help me through the rest of this life. And he purged my sins by himself. And through my faith in him, I can live for eternity. If you don't have that hope insurance this morning, I'd encourage you to open your heart and just say, Lord, I need a Savior. The Bible says Jesus is that Savior, and he purged my sins somehow on that cross. Lord, I want to come to believe in that. You can do that in the privacy of your own heart. You can do that right now without waiting. It'll change the trajectory of your life. But more importantly, it'll honor the God and the Savior who is the greatest of all. He is the greatest of all. So the greatest person, the greatest accomplishments, and also he has the greatest position. Go back to the beginning of verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory, he has his own glory. He, he shines in brightness. Everything about him is perfect. Everything about him is, is pure. Everything about him is powerful. The express image of his person. So he expresses the image of God. You want to know what God's like? From our point of view, look at Jesus. Because Jesus fully expresses who God is. He is God. He is glorious. He is, he is the full image of God. And then at the end of this, where it says, verse 3, when he purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He is seated, sharing the throne with God the Father. He is in the highest position. Why should we follow him? Because he's Lord of all. Why should we trust him? Because he's Lord of all. Why should we obey him? He is Lord of all. Why should we worship him? Because he is Lord of all. And I think that's what he calls us to with these phrases. We come to him and worship. Sometimes we make worship about how we feel. And there's nothing wrong with feeling good when you worship, okay? Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the highest purpose. We worship him because he is worthy of receiving our worship. So when we offer our praise, our thanks on our lips, he's worthy. When we put a gift in the offering plate, in the offering basket, we come and do that. And many of you just are so faithful with that. Thank you. But when you serve in that way by giving of something that's valuable to you and give it to the person who's most valuable to you, God is honored because he's the greatest person. When we come before him and serve him with, with all of our being and we try to do things that can further his work, that is how we worship our Lord. The motivation is simply this. 
Jesus is not the greatest of all time. Jesus is the greatest of all. He is the greatest, as we see in this text, he is the, he, he is the greatest person. He is the son. He's the heir of all things. He has the greatest accomplishment. He made the world. He upholds the world. He purged our sins. We follow Christ who has the greatest position, his glory, his, the image of God, and the fact that he is seated in this position. Now, Jesus is going to be described as our high priest later in this text. And when the high priest went into the holy place or the holy of holies, there was furniture there, but there were no seats because the priest never sat down when he was serving God because the priest's work was never done. You had to offer the sacrifice later. You had to bring the incense later. You had to bring the sacrifice in the next day. You had to bring the Day of Atonement sacrifice in once per year. It was repeated again and again and again. But Jesus, who by himself purged our sins, sat down. Because it's finished. It's been finished for you. May God just grip our hearts today and pull us back to a life of obedience, a life of trust and a life of worship, because indeed Jesus is the greatest of all. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks too for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.